the punishment for our sin, being willing to suffer and to die when we're the ones who deserve to, forgiving us life everlasting, Lord. We thank you for that, and it's the reason why we can gather today with such hope and such joy. We now ask you to speak to us from your word. Help us to understand those things that you would have us to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. <clears throat> We've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians and spent quite a bit of time in chapter 13, and now we've come to chapter 14, which is primarily about the gift of tongues. Gift of tongues is something that was controversial in their days, and it still tends to be controversial and can be very divisive in our day. This is the chapter that primarily deals with it in the whole New Testament, and so what we want to do is try to move through it. I tried to find a way to break the chapter up, but um, it all kind of goes together as a unit, so we're just going to look at what the Bible says here in chapter 14 and hopefully learn something. Now, I understand that for many of you, you're already getting nervous. I can promise you we're not going to, you know, nobody's going to be grabbing you and making you, you know, speak in tongues and nothing weird's going to, nobody's going to be swinging from chandeliers or rolling in the aisles or anything. And we've seen so much of the abuse of tongues as the Corinthians had. At the same time, we really want to know what God says about it. It's really important for us to just look at his word because there are some things that, People reject completely because they've seen excess. Now, in their times, they, speaking in tongues wasn't unheard of. There were other religions who did it, would sit there and babble and not make sense. What made it so unique in Christianity is that on the day of Pentecost, people were actually speaking languages that they hadn't learned. And so that was quite an event, and they looked at it, and it was a big deal. In Corinth, these carnal Christians were uh, making a real big deal about tongues. It had become kind of their favorite gift, their gift of choice. They loved to draw attention to themselves by speaking in tongues. It was also becoming really confusing. The services were becoming out of control as a result of this, and much as some in some churches today where they've taken false ideas about it, like for instance that if you're really spiritual, you'll speak in tongues, it's a sign of being filled with the Spirit, or you know, it, speaking in tongues is something that everyone ought to do. Paul's already said in chapter 12 that everyone doesn't, that only certain people have the you know certain gifts everyone has their own gifts and so here Paul kind of debunks so much of the baloney that has gone around about tongues but at the same time really focuses on some on what it is and what it can do and so it's something that's important for us to learn about again I'm not going to push my perspective on you at all I just want to look at what God says about it because we're going through 1 Corinthians and this is where we are I just suggest that you should be, as all of us should be, open to whatever it is that God wants to tell us when we look at his word. So try to put your preconceived notions aside for a moment, and let's just see what God says. He begins chapter 14 by saying, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. He says, Now remember what we just covered in 1 Corinthians 13. 
don't allow your discussion of gifts to kick you into the realm of the flesh, into the realm of argumentation, into something that will be divisive and unloving. Now, already we've seen so many times churches that have been split over the gifts and particularly the gift of tongues. And Paul's going, look, stay loving. Remember, that's what we just talked about. And then he also makes a case here to say that prophecy, that is speaking intelligently for God, speaking on behalf of him, is way superior to and way more important than speaking in tongues. So he says, get your priorities right. Now he defines for us in a moment what he's talking about prophecy. And so we'll move on and see it. But anyway, he's making the point here in the first five verses or so, the superiority of prophecy or speaking on behalf of God over speaking in tongues. For, verse 2, he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Now right away we learn a couple of things about tongues as he's discussing it. For one thing, we see that he's probably referring to a little different use of the gift than what we saw in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, they were speaking actual foreign languages. It listed the dialects in which people were hearing people speaking in their own language. Now it's a little bit different because in those times it was done to be communicated to others, those who couldn't understand the native languages that were normally spoken by the speakers. But here he's referring to something that is primarily speaking to God, because it says that you don't speak to men, but to God. So we're talking about something that happens during prayer, which is what we call speaking to God. And he says, no one understands. So it's not an intelligible language that someone else is going to understand. Now, there's a lot of confusion among people over, well, is speaking in tongues actually speaking a foreign language, or is it just speaking nonsensical syllables that somehow mean something to God? And you know, the answer probably is both, because tongues, as we saw it in Acts chapter 2, it sounds pretty clearly like they were speaking actual languages. Here, it's something that people don't understand. And so there are people who have taken what he said in chapter 13 of speaking with tongues of men and of angels, and they get the idea that there is an angelic language, that you're speaking the language of the angels. But that's stretching the text there. That's certainly not what he's trying to teach. There are a lot of people today who have claimed that when they're speaking in tongues, they're speaking an actual foreign language. And... I'm not going to say that that's impossible or that that isn't happening. Uh, frankly, I'm a bit suspicious of it because usually when you hear those stories, it always turns out it was somebody I know who was there 30 years ago, and her, and somebody goes, "Wow, that's German," and you, you know. But there are lots and lots of people who would love to prove that they are doing that. And it would be very easy to prove. You record someone speaking in tongues, you get a linguist, and you listen to it, and you go, okay, does this have all the elements of a, an actual language or doesn't it? And invariably, it doesn't. And there are people who swear that they speak a foreign language, and they get experts, and no, it's not a language. It's happened again and again. And so, But again, here he seems to be talking about something that isn't really something that people could understand anyway, if you're following me.
but the Spirit speaks. And again, over in Romans chapter 8, Paul, uh, Paul in talking about people in their prayers when they don't know how to pray as they ought, that the Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. Not just too deep for English words, too deep for words, period. And so probably referring to the same thing. But prophecy is superior because he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to people. So he's using the term prophecy in the general sense of speaking for God. And if it's edifying, that is if it builds up, coming from God, it's considered prophetic. If it's exhorting, and that's really a poor translation, the word there is the same word that we um, translate as the Holy Spirit's name, the comforter, uh, comes from parakaleo. It means to come alongside someone. And so rather than exhort, encourage is probably a better word. So when someone is speaking for God, they come and not only build you up, but they also come alongside you and encourage you. And then they comfort you when you're hurting, when you're going through a tough time. They have things to say that'll just comfort you and make you feel better. And he he says, but he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So he's saying prophecy is superior because it's helping people. When you're speaking in tongues and no one understands what you're saying except God, you know, you're edified, makes you feel better, and he's not putting that down, but he's saying primarily what we need to do for each other is to build each other up. And so if it builds you up and edifies you, it's not a bad thing. And I, and I believe that, that the, a biblical use of the gift of tongues is something that can, if that's your gift, edify you, and God knows that you need it, and so he will give you that gift for that purpose. But primarily, we are here to edify each other, to build each other up. And so he says, hey, speaking in, in a language that people can understand edification and encouragement and and comfort is much superior to you doing something that makes you feel good and doesn't help anyone else. So he says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. Now, he already said all don't. Everybody doesn't have the gift. But Paul later says that he does it more than anyone. And, And so he realized that it was something that edified him. And he said, yeah, I wish you did. Again, the implication is, but you won't but you don't all have the gift. But I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So now we kind of see almost a third use of tongues. It's someone saying something in a tongue and then someone interpreting it, and then it makes sense, and everybody goes, oh, well, that ministers to me. But, he, but he's saying that kind of as an exceptional thing, probably something that happened when there wasn't anyone there with a gift of teaching or with a gift of prophecy that, well, if somebody has a tongue and can interpret it, it's better than nothing. But he said, really, I'd much rather have you speaking in ways that people understand so that you can build them up and encourage them and so on. But now, brethren, verse 6, if I come to you speaking with tongues... What shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophecy, or by teaching? He goes, what good is it going to do you if I come up to you and just start babbling something that doesn't make sense to you? It's not going to help you. It's going to freak you out. Even things without life, 
He said, even inanimate objects, whether flute or harp, musical instruments, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? He goes, you, you don't just get a musical instrument and make noise with it. There are specific notes and specific ways of doing it so that as it comes together, it feels like, ah, oh, that sounds like music. Now, music is in the ear of the beholder. Some, some things that one person might regard as great music, someone else may regard as being, eh, I don't know about that. That's not, that's not music to me. And that's one reason why we have different kinds of music and different ways of exploring, you know, worshiping the Lord and things like that. Because, you know, there are some people who, if we just did hymns, they would go, that's the best music. And there are other people who would go, yeah, we need something a little more. I'm glad to hear some distortion finally, you know, or, you know, and, and it's like, okay, different people are different, but there is something has to appeal to someone in order for it to have value. And so he says, even a musical instrument, you don't just ramble on with it. You actually try to play notes. You try to play something that's appealing to people's ears. And then he talks about the trumpet that was used in battle. If the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? They would use trumpets and play a certain you know, reveille means one thing and taps means another thing. A certain blast on the trumpet would mean something. I played the trumpet when I was a kid, and we had a kid in the band who they let be in the band because he couldn't really do anything. And, and, but, I mean, his, when he played the trumpet, it was just... And it was, we would tune, and every trumpet player would play a C, and da-da-da-da-da, okay, good. You know, but... That's really not appealing. He's going, come on, a trumpet needs to make sense. And again, he's using it in respect to tongues. If all you're hearing is, you go, what am I supposed to do with that? Am I supposed to say, yeah, good one? And so he says, so likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. If we say things that nobody gets, are we really doing any good? Now, I could get up here and speak really profound theological truths using language that most of you wouldn't really comprehend, and there'd be a couple of people who are, are, have a certain level of education who would go, wow, that was really great. I loved what you had to say about superlapsarianism. But then other people would go, huh? What are you talking about? And, and so... We try in church not to use words that most people don't know what they mean. I would, if I did that, people could go away going, wow, is he smart? I'm glad he's on our side. But at the same time, you can't go, oh, I get it. And so he's saying, come on, the purpose of communication is to take something and make it understandable for someone else. And so he says, you know, if you... Uh, if uh, you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, if you don't, how are people going to know what's being spoken? And then in verse 10, there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. What he's saying is the way language works is there is significance assigned to individual sounds and words. We agree that this utterance means this, and so there's symbolism associated with each word that's in the vocabulary. And so that's how language works. 
Therefore, if I don't know the meaning of the language, I don't get the symbols, I'm going to be a foreigner to the one who's speaking, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. He said the, the idea of communication is we need to all agree that this word means this. Now we can have a meaningful conversation. Even so you, since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. He said, in whatever you do, make sure that what you want to do is to communicate. What you want to do is to build up others, that what you do communicates something to others that they will benefit by. Therefore, verse 13, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. So he says, if all you got is somebody speaking in a tongue, and you're doing it in front of people, you better be able to at least say, here's what it means. Now, he said, for if I pray in a tongue, another indication that tongues is about prayer, as he's discussing it. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit or with the spiritual gift. I'll pray in tongues, and I'll pray with understanding. I'll sing with tongues, and I'll sing with the understanding. He's going to make it clear when he does which determines where he is. If he's in church, he's going to do it with understanding. Obviously, if he's alone with God, then that's where he would use this gift of tongues. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you are saying? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. So he says, it's not going to do you any good. If you're saying something, it maybe means a lot to you, and maybe it means a lot to God, but it's not connecting with the people around you. So you're not edifying you're not, maybe you're edified. You're not edifying other people. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Interesting. Paul's going, because especially in light of what he's going to say in the next verse. But again, he's, he's not putting tongues down and saying you shouldn't do it. He's going, believe me, I speak in tongues more than any of you. Yet, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also, than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now he goes on to say, brethren, don't be children in your understanding. When it comes to hurting people, be like a kid. But in understanding, be mature. And then he goes back to a prophecy from Isaiah and says, in the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people, and yet... For all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Now he uses this to say, therefore, tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. So he says, yeah, tongues are for a sign. But people had been making tongues a sign for believers, it's like, this is showing how spiritual I am. This is showing that I'm filled with the Spirit. This is showing that I'm better than you. And he said, according to Isaiah, 
Tongues are something that were created to be assigned to unbelievers. That certainly tongues, when used as a sign in Acts chapter 2, impressed people who knew these guys didn't know their language and now they're speaking their language. It's a sign. But he's saying, when it comes to believers, it's not a sign of anything. Now, um, again, he's... This kind of debunks a lot of what people would say. But notice even in the passage in Isaiah that he says, and yet for all that they will not hear me. So it's a sign for unbelievers, but not that effective. It wouldn't work very well. And so there are better ways of connecting than this. But he said, when it's used as a sign, forget about it being for believers, for unbelievers. You still with me? Okay. There, I know this is a lot, but again, I think it all kind of goes together and you know, if you're just, if I'm losing you totally, it's cool. You can go out and eat donuts, patrol the parking lot, and be back next week when we're on to other things. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Speaking in a way from God that encourages you and builds you up and comforts you, that's the way you'll minister to other Christians. Coming up to someone and just babbling something isn't going to help them. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and this is the way some churches do it, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? We all go, okay, everybody speak in tongues. And if you're here for the first time and you're like, oh, man, you guys are just nuts. True. And, and we should be cautious that Nothing that we do gives people the idea that we're out of our minds in terms of, you know, church. It's, church should be done in a way that if you're here for the first time and you don't know anything about the Lord, you go, I get it. They're, they have a book that they believe God wrote, and they're looking at what it says, and they're figuring out how it's supposed to affect their lives. But if all prophesy... If everybody's getting up and encouraging each other and sharing scriptures with each other and comforting each other, and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all, he's convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so, falling down on his face, he'll worship God and report that God is truly among you. If a, if a non-Christian comes to church and they hear, wow, these people care about each other, they're interested in each other. They start eavesdropping on our conversations, and they're going, you guys are really trying to help each other. I get that. That's what I've been looking for. That's what I've been wanting in my life. How is it then, brethren? Verse 26. Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So here he kind of describes what church was like for them a bit. In, in those days, the churches were primarily underground. Most of them were what we would consider home fellowships. A handful of Christians would get together in a home, and they would minister to each other. They would usually share a common meal. Somebody would, different people would share different things. Now, the way they did it and the way we do it is sometimes different here because it wouldn't be practical with this many people to say, okay, anybody have anything to share? Anybody have a song you want to sing or, you know, whatever? Because, well, again, people would think we're nuts at some of the stuff that would come out. 
Now, on Wednesday nights, we have a smaller group, and we sometimes take an opportunity for somebody to share what God is doing in their lives. And so far, the crackpots haven't figured it out that we do that, and they aren't showing up and ruining it for everyone. And it's really a cool time. And if you came and you weren't a Christian, you'd go, well, this is neat. Everybody's contributing. Well, that's kind of what church was like for them. That's a lot of what a home fellowship is like today and why I really encourage people to get involved in women's studies or men's studies or home fellowships because everyone can come together. The idea is come together as a church with seeing what you have to offer rather than coming as a consumer to just gobble up whatever they're serving come together and go, okay, how can I chip in here? How can I help? And so he says, use your gifts in that way so that everything will be done for edification. And he said, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three each in turn and let one interpret. So no tongues in the assembly without interpretation and no more than two or three each at a time with an interpretation to follow was the rule there. And again, they had to take whatever they could get in terms of, you know, that if a tongue's with an interpretation, according to Paul, it's better that you prophesy, but a tongue's with an interpretation could kind of fill the purpose. And so if there isn't anyone with a teaching, that's something that could happen, but it should be in order. It shouldn't be weird and, you know, just all out of control. If there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. Even when it comes to those who are going to, to speak for, for edification and encouragement and comfort, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. So don't have everyone get up and do a sermon. Don't have everybody talking. It'll get boring really quick. And let the others judge. This is important in a, in a group Bible study setting. And I'd love to be able to do it on Sunday mornings. It's just not practical. To have people go, well, what about this? To let them judge. Not in terms of, okay, after I tell a joke, okay, 4.5. Or, what, you know, or oh, I don't think I agree with that. But at the same time, to get feedback, find out if we're connecting, we kind of have to do that by talking to people later in the week or after the service or through emails or whatever. But in a Bible study group, it's important that everyone, especially when the people aren't trained necessarily, we're all just going, well, I think God's telling me this, so that it doesn't just become a pooling of ignorance, have everyone else go, I don't know, that doesn't, seems to contradict with this verse, or that doesn't click with me or make sense with me. And so, you know, maybe in church we ought to have, you know, Randy and Paula and Simon and go, well, that was a little pitchy or that. But, you know, here in a small group, that's kind of what they were doing. But he said, uh, let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. Just listen to what they have to say. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And again, this is so great when you get together with people in a smaller group and you can do that. It's really um, the best kind of interaction in the Word, I think. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. The idea is you can control yourself. Don't just start babbling and going, oh, I just couldn't stop myself. Now, there are people who do this sometimes. And, you know, if you just decide in the middle of a church service that, that you just can't help it, but you're speaking in tongues, you just can't control yourself, well, somebody will be controlling you and helping you out. Because 
If it's really from God, it's something that you can keep a lid on if it's not the appropriate time. The same thing if you just think God's telling you to say something, you know, go ahead and say it, but others are going to judge. <laughs> um, spirit of the prophets, subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So important. If something's confusing and weird, somebody's getting off track. And then he goes on and says, let your women keep silent in the churches. For they are not... I'm just reading it. <laughs> For they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is shameful for women to speak in church. What? <laughs> At another time, we'll go into a little more detailed discussion of the role of women in the church. Some people believe this is saying that the women weren't allowed to speak in tongues in church or to interpret. Others take the position that they weren't the ones to be doing the teaching in church and and uh, it would certainly at least apply probably to those two cases. Paul, in other places, discusses the role of women in the church. It's not that women can't teach. Um, women are the best people to teach other women, for instance. It's something that the Word tells us. They're, they can connect to women in a way that a man can't. I mean, I'm up here teaching the Word. There are a lot of women here. I, I lost a lot of you just by reading the word. It's like, what do you, what do you mean, you know? And I mean, I lost some of you when I said I watched the UFC last night. Oh, how could you call yourself a pastor? But I don't know, you know, Paul, I, I'm not going to change the word of God. So it, it would seem that maybe the women were dominating the church services and were like asking questions that it would be like, you know what? that's so off topic, just talk to your husband at home. Now, many of us just are afraid of our wives asking us questions because sometimes they have really good questions. They, so many times women are deeper spiritually than men are and have read more and spent more time in worship and things like that. But this was to challenge the men to step up and be men and be the spiritual leaders of their home. Obviously, if you're a woman who doesn't have a husband at home or you have a husband at home who doesn't have any answers or whatever, th there are other ways that we have of asking questions and there are ways in which we can minister to each other. But again, I don't want to get too far off topic. We'll cover it another time. I just believe what God says. So if you want to fight about it, fight somebody else. I never, I never hit a woman. <laughs> but... And, and he says now in verse 36, Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reached? Now, he's probably here addressing in a larger sense the whole idea that what we are to do together is to build each other up. And this verse is probably another way of him saying, look, it's not about you. It's not about what works for you, what feels good to you, what seems good to you at the time, what seems like an, at this instant is what I want to do. He's going, you know, you're not God. We need to let God's word dictate what we do, how we do it, why we do it, because we aren't God. We didn't 
make this word up, and we don't have a right to just make up anything that we want to do because it seems a good idea for us. And if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. He goes, if you disagree with what I'm saying, all you're showing is you're not hearing from God. You will show yourself to be of God if you look at what I'm saying and go, okay, I accept that. I believe it. Therefore, I would never, especially with this chapter, ever want to be in a position where I twist or water down or explain away or in any way denigrate what Paul has said in this chapter, all of it. Because he says, this is from God, and you're not listening to God if you don't agree with what I'm saying. And there are a lot of people who just flagrantly will play with this passage and try to make it say what it isn't saying or try to twist it and make it say what they want it to say. And Paul says, you'll show yourself to be a false prophet if you do that. Now, verse 38, if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. In other words, if somebody doesn't know, if they want to disagree and fight over these things, don't try to fix them. And I am not in any way desirous of having lengthy conversations with people who disagree with what we're, we're just reading the word. You know, with covering 40 verses in this amount of time, I can't get too much of me in it. We're pretty much just saying what Paul is saying. If you don't agree with me or you think I'm ignorant or what, that's okay. I'm not out to fix you. If you want to disagree with God's word and be ignorant, I'll let you be. A lot of times people create great problems by thinking that they need to straighten out everyone's ignorance. Oh, believe me, I've had this experience, and here, let me show you. Let me, t- You know what? If, if you think we're ignorant, let us be ignorant. That's what it says. Don't fight over these things. Don't try to fix each other. Therefore, brethren, summing it up, desire earnestly to prophesy, to speak to edification and encouragement and comfort. And do not forbid to speak with tongues. Don't say, oh, no, you can't speak in tongues. You shouldn't be. You're doing it all wrong. You're no, it, being in favor of prophecy shouldn't make you against tongues. Bottom line, let all things be done decently and in order. It's a good general rule for the church. It's not to be rigid and everything structured. But use common sense and don't do things that stir up the pot and offend people and confuse people. And don't let church just be this noisy mess of what's going on. Do it decently and in order. That's his kind of rule over all of this stuff. So what do we have? 40 verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, what do we know? We know that tongues is a gift. We know from what we saw in chapter 13, it's a gift that will be obsolete when the perfect has come. And if the perfect coming is Jesus' return, then we believe that these gifts are are going to be in use until Jesus returns. Now, if you believe that the perfect coming is the completion of the canon of Scripture, I'm not going to argue with your ignorance. But um, (laughs) it's, it's a gift. We also know it's a gift that's really inferior to building other people up. But at the same time, we know it's a gift that Paul thought was important enough that he said, I do it more than any of you. And he said, I I wish you could all experience what I experience when I'm praying in tongues. So he obviously needed it and valued it. 
He saw it not as something that makes someone better than other people, but for someone who has this gift, it's something that would enrich his prayer life by edifying himself, by encouraging himself in some way. We need to be really careful not to overemphasize the gift, but at the same time, we need to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Now, the Bible doesn't give us any instructions on how to do it. And so anyone who's trying to get people to speak in tongues by going, okay, get in a room all by yourself, turn the lights down low, a couple candles might help, start saying to yourself slowly over and over, I want to buy a Honda, I want to buy a Honda, I want to buy a Honda, and, and whoa, it'll, you know, it, no other gift works that way. And, and, and that's, that's silly, but at the same time, what if you've never entertained the possibility that this might be a gift that God wants you to have? And there's something that God has given you that could build you up. And, and you sense a lack in your life. You often in your prayer life are praying and you feel like, oh, I'm hitting a wall. I, I don't know what more to say. I, I wonder if this is what God would want me to do. Well, then, like any other gift, first you should say to God, God, I want everything that you have for me, everything. Because if you're afraid, if you think that, oh, man, I would die if I ever did that, then you're holding God back. You're quenching the Spirit in a way that he wouldn't want you to do. We should all be open. If we're trusting God and we're filled with his Spirit, he's not going to do anything weird to us. But we should go, God, you know, whatever you want. If this is something that you have for me, it's cool. That'd be fine, God. You could do it. And, and God knows how to work with each of us individually. Now, as you're praying, as you're just spending time with God and worshiping him and thanking him, if you ever get to a point where you're feeling like, oh, words are just coming short, it's just not there, then it's okay to just kind of let your mouth go and see what happens and see if this is a gift that God has for you. And for many people, it is something that enriches their prayer life, their devotional life. It is something that when you come to the end of yourself, there he is to come in and fill in the gap. And, and I know, you know, for many years, it was something that I was afraid of because I was raised to believe that, oh, this is a gift that ceased at the end of the first century. And my greatest fear of falling in love with the Lord and getting on fire for him was, what if I become one of those tongue speakers? You know, and I finally, I was struggling with that. And as a young Christian, I went and I, well, at first I read R.A. Torrey because Pastor Chuck told me, read R.A. Torrey's book on the gifts of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit. And Torrey was the first president of Biola College. I figured this is safe. And, you know, and then another friend of mine just said, just tell God you want everything that he has for you. And so there was a time when I finally, as I was praying to the Lord, I just got the nerve to go, nobody's around or anything. And it's just like, hmm, I, I, I can connect with that Romans 8 thing of, I don't know what more to say. And I just allowed my mouth to just kind of go, and my tongue was kind of clucking a little bit, and it was like, and I, believe me, it's no foreign language. I wasn't speaking French. I studied French for three years. This wasn't French. This wasn't anything. But, but I was allowing my spirit to pray. 
and in groanings that were too deep for words. And still, and, and I wouldn't say like, Paul, oh, I do this more than you all. It has a place in my personal devotional life, not a huge prominent place usually. I guess I think I know so much that I rarely come run out of words. But when I do, at times, God has used this in a way that really does encourage me, that really does build me up. But I don't, you know, oh, you should, you all need to do it. We're going to have a class. Let's all try. Come on. And I, you know, and we'll all sound like a bunch of people, you know, chattering at, at a baseball game. Hey, batter, hey, batter, hey, batter, swing. It's, that's not what it is. First, just make sure that you're open to whatever God has for you. Secondly, make sure that what you want to do with your life is not to edify yourself, but to edify others. That you're doing the kinds of things and saying the kinds of things that build other people up and encourage and comfort them so that you're really doing the important stuff. And that love is a prominent element of your life. And then if you feel like something's lacking there in your prayer life, give it a try. If nothing happens, if it doesn't work, if you feel just, ah, this is stupid, it's okay. Everybody doesn't have the gift. Everyone doesn't need the gift. But if you do, it'd be a shame for you to miss out on something that God has for you. And so I think it's kind of, now if you have just no desire at all, or you're just like, if I ever did that, I would die, that's okay. It's all right. We're not, not going to argue with you about it. And I really don't want a string of people at the door telling me how wrong I am either. It's, it's just, in your walk with the Lord, see if it's a gift that God might want to use. See if this gift matches up with what you feel is missing in your life. That what people are saying isn't edifying you, and that you really need a deeper thing in a communication with Him. And give it a shot. And every once in a while to try it, fine. If it's your gift, it'll happen. It'll feel natural and, and nice. And, and then don't do it in front of people. Just, just make this something personal. God knows your heart. He hears your spirit. And if for you it's just groanings and you don't want to call it tongues, I don't care. But get to the point in your prayer life where you'll let him come in and work and speak. And, and that's important whether you have the gift of tongues or not. But tongues may help you. Tongues may be something that God wants you to know. We don't want to be ignorant about it. As Paul had said earlier, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. So again, if you're smarter than I am about it, that's fine. That's totally fine. If you're, now, if you think that, Dave, you're soft-selling it too much, man, these people need to be speaking in tongues, we need to be doing, that's okay, too. You can have your, you know, I'm not going to divide fellowship over something like this. But I just want to look at what the Word says. So we've done that today. We've seen what he has to say about it. Some very clear things, I think. Nothing real confusing here at all. If you're open, see what God does. And again, if he doesn't do anything, it doesn't mean you're a lousy Christian. It doesn't mean you're missing out on anything at all. It just means that you have some different needs than other people. And, you know, but for everyone, we all need to make sure that what we're desiring is to be ministering to others. That's the important part of spiritual gifts. This is a little bobble on the cake kind of a thing for, for us personally. But the big picture is always to love each other, to minister to each other, to build each other up. And it's been a great tragedy in the history of the church when the gift of tongues did exactly the opposite of that. It divided people, made them angry and hateful and superior and arrogant and, and scared of God and all those other things. So, hey, it's normal. 
It's, it's just one of his gifts. We should be open always. If we aren't, we're holding back maybe something that God wants for us. But we're all different. We all have different needs. We all have different ways in which God works in us. And that's really glorious. And that's 1 Corinthians 14. The way I see it, I hope that's clear. Go back and pray about it and read it again yourself. And if God shows you anything other than what this says, again, you can be ignorant. Let's pray. (laughs) God, thank you so much for all of your gifts. That you've made each of us unique. We all can be useful, though, for you. We all have an opportunity to take your word and share it with others, to build them up, to encourage them, to comfort them. Lord, may you, by your spirit, help us to continue to emphasize the opportunities we have to help each other. But Lord, we thank you for this gift of tongues that's been so misunderstood and overemphasized. Lord, if there's anyone here today who this is something that they're lacking, you've given this to them and they've just never really heard it described in a way that was sensible, Lord, I just pray that you'll show each of us what you want to do in our lives and that we would all give you permission to do whatever you want in us. Lord, control us, fill us with your spirit. Help us to be led and guided by you every step of the way. And help us to stay together. Help us to hang on to each other, to embrace each other, to love each other, and to never divide about you. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you want to do in applying your word to each of our lives individually as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.